And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I am Clint, and I tell you, I, Brian, I love how the universe works. Would you like for me to explain to you what the hell it is I'm talking about? Yeah, I know we've had a lot of full moons lately, but what else is going on? Lots of crazy stuff because of the full moon, but that's a whole other story. So, the film that we are going to discuss later on, we did a part three choice, and we put it to... The fans, we put it to the audience and said, choose out of these selections, which one is your the one you want us to cover? So the fans chose what we're going to discuss, which which wound up being Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. What's interesting is how the universe works is two days before this recording, the fan film Dylan's New Nightmare released on YouTube, which is a, a Nightmare on Elm Street thing. It's getting a lot of buzz, too. I've seen bloody, disgusting, eye horror. A lot of people are covering this movie and telling people to go watch it. So I think I'll watch it this weekend. You know what we should do is we should get to some horror news and we'll talk about it a little bit more. Well, since the mutant fam helped us pick this movie, I had jumped on Twitter. I had shot the mutant fam account on Twitter a message and said, hey, we'd like to kind of co-op and have your followers help us pick this movie. So they shared the information, you know, the tweets. We got a lot of votes for Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I want to text Chainsaw Massacre 3, but that's a different story for a different day. A tie-in to the mutant fam is that Joe Bob is going to be on TV with Darcy and the last drive-in crew, John and Yuki, everybody that's involved, five times between now and Halloween. Well, one time, because this episode will already be out, but they're going to finally air the historic first Jamboree from 2021 on 9-8. These are all on Shudder, which is owned by AMC. I shouldn't say they all are. Most of this is on Shutter. Then on 9-15, they're going to do an episode covering the new Daryl Dixon series. I don't know. They've done some Walking Dead stuff before. And then on 10-7, live from the West Wind Drive-In in Vegas. I think I know somebody that's going there. So it sounds like they're going to do the show live from the drive-in. That'll be fun. It's a can of... Who did Cue the Winged Serpent? Who's that guy? The director. I'm going to have to look that up for the news over. But it's a night covering his movies. Um, Friday night or Friday during the day, Charles Band is filming a f- movie at the drive-in there. Um, and then on 1010, they're showing Halloween on AMC. That's Fear Fest takes over AMC. And that will be Joe Bob. He will be covering Halloween. It's the 45th anniversary of Halloween being released. So Joe Bob will be doing that one on AMC. That will not be on Shutter. Um, and then on 1020... Joe Bob's Halloween. I don't know if that'll have something to do with Satan or it'll be a bunch of movies that you're like, I don't know that this has anything to do with Halloween, but they'll be on there and it'll be Joe Bob. Cue the winged serpent. Well, it was brought to us by Larry Cohen. 
Okay, so it's all it's Larry Cohen night, and the way I understand it is, it's Larry Cohen from dusk until dawn. Possibly like four Larry Cohen movies. I don't know that they'll do them all at the drive-in. They may just do two, but Sunday night they're doing um, all four Sleepaway Camp movies because it's the 30th anniversary of Sleepaway Camp, maybe 25th. I don't know. Yeah, but lots of the last drive-in this month, and it's kind of nice because... A lot of people were, there is no more Joe Bob. This is it. You know, he did that little cryptic tweet with the little video that he put out and was like, people were like, oh, we're not going to get any more. And I don't think Shudder's that stupid, to be honest, because if they let him go, someone's going to swoop in and grab him unless it's his choice to be gone. I think I included without Joe Bob, I'm not probably having Shudder. So that's what keeps me coming back. You talking about this, that's what has me excited is, uh, again, I've never you know been um, as into Joe Bob as you. Yeah, it sounded like it was going away. It was done for and everybody's kind of down about it. And no one knew what was going on. So this is exciting news because he's still going to be around. And I think one of the reasons that they're probably doing the, the Walking Dead stuff to Daryl Dixon, because that's the next one getting ready to come out is obviously because Shutter and AMC are kind of merging or however you want to explain that. So I'm sure it's, you know, ties right in there. And I also think, and again, I don't know uh, as much about Joe Bob as you do, but I've always looked at Joe Bob, even back on Monster Vision, it was more B-movies, it was more drive-in stuff, where it sounds now like he's kind of uh, diversifying and adding some mainstream stuff as well, which I think is smart because then you're going to be hitting you know, a broader audience and bringing his product to people who might not have ever shown interest. Yeah, it was funny that last time he covered Halloween, he was complaining about having to cover it. But I'm like, if you get thrown Halloween in your lap, you're going to say no to it. I mean, it's it may not be your favorite movie, but if they called me tomorrow and said, you want to cover Halloween? I wouldn't be like, no, I'm good. I bust my coworker Keith's balls because he's like, how many times have you watched Halloween so far? And I'm like, none. He's like, well, why not? And I'm like, because it's fucking boring. I'm bored. I want to watch a second one where it's, you know, they show some boobies and people get burned up and stuff. I want to watch that one. I don't want to watch the first one. I'm, I'm just bored with it. It's a great film, but way to go, Brian. You know, we joke about as long as this podcast has been on, at least since I've been on there, that we've been slowly alienating our audience. We have one listener left, and that's Jason, who used to be on the show, and you just pissed him off, and now he's going to tune out, too. Thanks. He's too busy figuring out who played Michael Myers in each of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jason. Jason, you don't even need to be here for us to bust your balls. So much fun. <laughs> Something to add to the Joe Bob thing, though, and um, I don't know, maybe this is like an unpopular uh, opinion. Do you think, Brian, that it's time for Joe Bob to do something similar to what Sven Gulli is doing? And that is, I hate to say this, but I mean, Joe Bob isn't going to be around forever. None of us are. He's not ill. I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with him, but he is getting up there in age. There is going to come a time when Joe Bob isn't able or around to do this anymore. Um, do you think maybe he should start trying to find a successor or broaden his show so it can continue on when he's gone? I think the thing with Sven Gulli is he's... A character. Not that Joe Bob's not a character, but someone was Svengoolie before Svengoolie, right? The way I understand it. Yes. Uh -huh. So if there was another Svengoolie, it would be like another son of Svengoolie. The show could go on as Svengoolie. Joe Bob is Joe Bob. I think if someone like, let's say, Darcy was ever to take over his format for Shudder or for another streaming service, it could still be the last drive-in, but I think it would be the last drive-in with Darcy the male girl and someone else. 
you know, they would transition to it being her show and he would be retired or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, you you wouldn't do like son of, son of Joe Bob or anything like that. It would be hard in today's not to get political society to find someone that people would be like, oh, it's just Joe Bob. We're kind of past that point where people can just go on TV and say whatever they want and get away with it. You know, he's maybe the last of that generation where he can kind of say and do what he wants and most people are okay with it. You know, the next person would have to be more maybe politically correct, stay on the air. Well, I guess that counts you out from, you know, throwing your throwing your hat in the race, throwing your name in the in the hat. Yeah, because I'd be like, I hate Halloween and The Shining. And they'd be like, you're off the show. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you got for news? Anything exciting? Well, yeah, I kind of, you know, alluded to it earlier. But uh, again, so two days prior to this recording. So it's been a couple weeks now when you're hearing this. Dylan's New Nightmare fan film released on YouTube. It's a 37, I think, 38 minute short. And it is a unofficial direct sequel to... The last Nightmare on Elm Street, we got a new nightmare. Miko Hughes, Miko or is it Michael? I think it's Miko Hughes played, you know, a gauge in Pet Cemetery. He played the kid in that movie. Nancy's, you know, or I'm sorry, Heather Langenkamp's kid in that movie. He reprises the role. He's older now. He's in Hollywood trying to get acting gigs. And so anyway, I checked it out the night it opened or the night it premiered on YouTube. I urge everybody to go see this. It um, it, it was an interesting take. And I think it's fun, too, because it's the first Nightmare on Elm Street fan film. We've gotten so many Friday the 13th fan films and Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween fan films. Of course, we have the My Bloody Valentine, Valentine Bluffs fan film. So it was cool to see something fresh and new. And it's it's getting a big response. So Bloody Disgusting posted an article about it. Something I didn't know. So Dave McRae, who plays Freddy in this, did a pretty amazing job as Freddy. He's a voice actor. and But what I found out was he is also the director of another fan film that Brian and I both like, and that is It's Me, Billy, and I believe also the upcoming It's Me, Billy 2, which is the Black Christmas fan film, which was probably the best fan film I've ever seen. Ron Sloan's in this also, and Brian, you know Ron Sloan from uh, Friday the 13th Part 5, your favorite Friday the 13th. Womp Stomp Films is associated with this. Cool fan film. Go check it out. That is my news. And it ties in with the film we're discussing here today, too. 50,000 views in two days. That's amazing. Yeah, it's doing well. I want to watch it. And if it's half as good as It's Me, Billy, it'll be great. So, again, it's a different director. You know, Dave McRae, who plays Freddy in this, is the director of the It's Me, Billy. He, uh, Billy, he did not direct the uh, Dylan's New Nightmare. Um, I mean, if I had some downsides, I'd say that it, it is a little slow. I think it could have been longer, but for what it is, and when it when it ended, Boots and I watched it. And I just kind of looked at her and she looked at me and we just kind of felt like, oh, that's it. But it didn't end in like a weird, confusing way. It was almost like you were watching the first part of a series and it was like, oh, I, has, I get to watch the rest next week. Like that's kind of the feeling that it gave you. Um, but it was just, just well done, so... And what are the what are the other Womp Stomp films? They've done some Friday Thirteenth. Yeah, Womp Stomp is behind the whole Never Hike Alone series, which uh, Never Hike Alone Two is coming out. Uh, what in October? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometime in October. So I believe that at Halloween Palooza on that Friday night, which is Friday Thirteenth, they're going to show the whole series all together. So one continuous cut because there are three or four, three now, and then there'll be a fourth one. 
Yeah, there's never hike alone, never hike alone in the snow, and then, of course, never hike alone, too. Okay, so there'd be three, yeah. So those are really well done for fan films. I mean, I was like, oh, I want to see what's next. Because they left those, it sounds like, like they left this open for a second part of it. They did, and and the, the production value is right up there, right up there with It's Me, Billy, right up there with Never Hike Alone, so... I really want to see It's Me, Billy, too. I mean, like you said, that's the best fan film I've ever seen. Nothing against any of the others. And maybe it's one of those I liked Black Christmas so much that you're like, oh, I never thought I would get more of this because it's not like it's a super popular series or anything. One thing, uh, a point to bring up about uh, Dylan's new nightmare is it says here that the unofficial sequel raised more than $80,000 via crowdfunding, uh, 31000 from its initial Indiegogo campaign in 2019, and an additional 10000 in 2021, with another 41000 from a finishing funds campaign last year. And uh, you add that up, that's $80,000. So they tell me, I didn't do the math myself. You know, I know that we have... Uh, supported fan films in the past and i probably i will continue you know i donated some money to uh the upcoming uh documentary from pony gale the story of george atkins yep yeah the pioneer of the video store he kind of started the whole thing um before blockbuster and all family video and all those i just gave some money to is it called haunted house of pancakes i saw something about that haunted house of pancakes yeah yeah something about that yeah haunted house of pancakes that's what it's called and it's got our friend John Eisberg as part of that crew. So I was like, I'll throw, you know, I think I gave it 10 bucks to start out with. And I figured I'd see how our convention season went and give him some more money. I didn't know John was a, was a part of that. I'll have to check that out a little more thoroughly. I don't know if he's cinematographer, director or something, but if I kind of figured if he was in that role, it would look great. Well, I guess the point of the story here is is support indie film, support fan films. Let's keep all this great stuff going. But to do so, we're going to need some money because it's going to be a while before I can probably donate to another crowdfunding. I don't have any money. I'm poor. How about you? You poor, Brian? I'm not poor at all. I actually got some free stuff this week. Oh, only one free thing, but I work at a doctor's office, so I deal with, you know, people all day, and I see people on a regular basis, you know, they come back in and see the doctor. So I had a patient come in, and she's like, I made you something. I was like, oh, yeah, what's that? And she hands me this. What is that, soap? It's a skull carving. It's cement, so it's hard. It's a cement skull, and it glows in the dark. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, I was like, where'd you find a skull that small? Kind of looks like a baby. And she said it it was a casting, but it glows in the dark. You turn the lights out and it glows in the dark. That's pretty detailed. And that's pretty cool. You know, though, that right there is, you know, we always talk about like, you're <laughs> like, I'm not you're like, I'm not from the south. I don't know why people think I'm from the south, because people from the north say cement as cement. But you say <laughs> cement. Cement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you are from the deep south somewhere. You don't even know it. You were like smuggled in as a child. Yeah. Maybe I was adopted. They want to send me back. But yeah, she said, you look like you like spooky stuff. Here, I made this for you. She made the doctor I work for some pumpkins. And I was like, okay, thank you. It's pretty cool. Like it's got nicer teeth than me. <laughs> It's like I said on Spill the Guts the other day, September is here, people. It's September now, and people are already into spooky stuff. It's everywhere. Happy Halloween, everybody. Got my new issue of Scream Magazine, my favorite horror magazine from across the pond. The Wolfman, we got The Shining, House, 
a hundred bloody pages. I haven't had time to look through that yet, but I get that from the local bookstore. They're hap- they're uh, nice enough to order it for me. And then I got a bunch of movies. Got my Terror Vision for this month. We got Parasites. Says inspired by true events and chocolate strawberry vanilla. And I stayed up late one night because Terravision announced 13 weeks of Halloween a couple weeks ago. And this is one of the movies they talked about, and it just looks like a good time. It's about ice cream, man. Is it like the, an ice cream killer? I, mean, I don't get it. It's just that title leaves a lot to the imagination. Ice cream truck driver Warren Thompson has two major problems an unhealthy obsession with a soap opera actress and a gang of bullies who like to savagely beat him on a regular basis. <laughs> As Warren slowly slips out of reality into a psychotic fantasy world to escape his miserable life, a darker, deadlier Warren emerges to deal with his problems and put an end to his tormentors. I have to see this. <laughs> it's not American. It's a, I don't know where it's from, because it says the first time in the United States. Is there a year? It, what, is this something modern? What is this? 2014 Lost Art Films. Oh, boy. Yeah, maybe German or... You know, that reminds me. So I'm always plugging old episodes. And, and a lot of times I don't mean to. Uh, this just came. So that reminds me. Last October, we were at Halloween Palooza. We did the live. We were kind of riff tracking um, old Grindhouse trailers. Remember that? I had said something about... You just don't find stuff like this anymore. These wacky off the wall films, they just don't exist. And uh, Justin Beam was on stage with us and he said, actually, you do. He said they're from the vendors at this show and, you know, these independent film companies that you may never heard of. They're there. They're just kind of in a different form now that whatever the hell it was you just said solidifies that. I need to see this movie. Can I borrow it when you're done? One of the things that I picked up, I think last month, it was in that big pile of movies. I bought the AGFA Horror Trailer Show. Vinegar Syndrome had it on sale for like seven bucks. It's just trailers. And then uh, from Vinegar Syndrome, I got, I don't even know how to fucking say this, Cardona Collection. It's a couple movies. It's in a beautiful hardcover slipcase. I'll share these on the socials. Oh, look at that. That lady has a police car coming out of her vagina. Wow. She looks to be enjoying it, too. Yeah, and that guy's shooting a gun towards it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Pew, pew. There's an eagle on the back, too. Let's see what's on here. Beaks the movie. Under Siege. S.O.S. Conspiracy. Bikini. And something in Spanish. I don't know how to say. Got Amazon Jail 1 and 2. Looks like my kind of jail. And then last but not least, my favorite movie, um, maybe other than strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate, because I love ice cream. Killer Condom. Look at the artwork on that son of a- <laughs> Oh, God, you have to share a picture of that in the socials. There's some guy, he's naked, and he's on his knees, but he's got socks on, and there's blood squirting from his crotch area, and he's screaming, and that's just, what the? There's his wiener down there. I think that's his. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. There's a bad sign, and it's all cartoon drawing. Then on the back there is a the condom. <laughs> That's from Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah, this one's from Vinegar Syndrome. It'd be a hell of a double feature with a uh, strawberry chocolate vanilla. Maybe I'll show that next year at the Orpheum. You'd be like, no, no. I don't know if they're gonna let you. No, they probably wouldn't. I mean, I can't blame them, but yeah, that's just more movies to add to this pile, growing pile over here that I need to put away. People are like, why do you spend so much money on movies? I said, you know, someday I'm going to be retired from work and I'm just going to sit around and drink coffee and watch these movies all day. That's my plan. You know, some people go play Pinochle and shuffleboard and fish. 
I'm going to watch cheesy, bad movies on my way outdated Blu-ray player, because by then it'll be like streaming through your brain. That's scary. It's good to have goals. That's my goal. Did you get anything? Did you buy anything? I got nothing because I'm saving up to pay for shipping so you can ship me some of these movies that you're getting so I can watch them. I also bought you a movie, so it'll be coming in next month when uh, I get my next shipment of Vinegar Syndrome movies, so I'll mail it to you. Based off the titles you just read off, I'm almost scared, but thank you. See, I don't need to buy anything anymore because you just keep giving me stuff, so it's a pretty good arrangement we have here. Vinegar Syndrome's having an sale right now. It'll be over by the time this episode drops, but they had uh, The Incredible Melting Man with the slipcover on 4K for like 14 bucks. I know how much you love that movie. And I was like, it's normally like $45. I was like, I can't pass it up. I already have a copy. I'm going to grab Clint a copy because I ordered some other stuff too. And I get free shipping. I appreciate that. But don't get mad at me when I'm holding that Blu-ray in my hand and I'm holding the VHS copy I have in my other hand. And I go, hey, I'm going to watch the VHS copy. I picked that up. I picked some other movies up from the Vanguard Syndrome sale. And then a uh, Terrorvision re-released WNUF. The movie, the WNUF special, I grabbed a slip because I was like, eh, I already own the movie, but the slip's only like $5 So, because it's a new artwork slip. So I grabbed that. I was like, it's pretty. Yeah, I haven't spent much money uh, the last episode or this episode. I've got a lot of things coming up. Like uh, here in October, I'm going to be going to the Redford Theater in Detroit where Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Demons and many others have uh, premiered. And I'm going to be checking out uh, Goblin you know, doing the live performance uh, along with the, the film Demons, playing the soundtrack as the movie plays. So I'm doing that. I'm coming down to Galesburg to check out Dead Kids, also known as Strange Behavior and Next to Kin that Brian's putting on and the Spooky Podcast is putting on with Severn Films. So I guess if I'm investing in any, and there's a bunch of other stuff too, but I don't want to rattle a bunch of stuff on. I guess if anything, kind of now I'm just investing my money in adventures and memories and just a lot of cool events that are coming up because it is spooky season. I got nothing. Well, no, because you're spending all your money on, on physical media. To fund some of these amazing memory-saving trips, it'd be cool if we could take it to like a sponsor, maybe get some extra cash for the show. That'd be all right. Because I mean, is, is that a show expense? Or would I be like embezzling funds if I like write off and take money to go on a trip to come down to Galesburg? That, that, that works. Yeah, we haven't formed an LLC or anything, so I think we're good. <laughs> Screamers Costumes of Mount Clemens is unleashing a new horror onto Michigan. Presenting Screamers Movie Killer Experience. This unique experience will have you strolling through sets, feasting your eyes on displays, costumes, masks, and one-of-a-kind horror movie memorabilia. Screamers Movie Killer Experience will have its grand opening on Saturday, September 23rd at 11 a.m. Screamers Costumes is located at 35431 South Gratiot Avenue in Clinton Township, Michigan. For more info, you can find Screamers Costumes on Facebook, Instagram, or at ScreamersCostumes.com. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for our movie. And it was a part three choice, and the fans chose Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. I think they picked it for just the soundtrack alone. The 
This is my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm glad it was chosen. All of our choices we put out, we put out three choices for the part three choice. We put out Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, probably my least favorite of these choices, but still a good movie. We put out Hellraiser 3, and we put out Nightmare on Elm Street 3. We also wanted to uh, throw Halloween 3 in, but then it's like, well, there's four movies, so it's not really a part three choice. But thank you to the fans. We actually got a really, uh, really amazing feedback and participation in the polls. And so we thanks, thank you a lot. And what's cool is, is you don't need to eat spoonfuls of coffee to be able to watch this movie. You know, like she, like she did in the beginning, she ate the coffee with the spoon. Now I have to go back and watch the other Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but I don't think this is my favorite. I will preface that by saying this is probably the best acted with the best story and the best cast. I get all that. Just like Friday 13th Part 6 is the best story, best acting, best cast, but it is not my favorite. I don't know that this is my favorite, but I'm going to confess something. I have all these movies over here, and I don't own one Nightmare on Elm Street movie on physical media. Really? Yeah pull it off and i'm like i don't own any of these i don't know that there's been like legitimate blu-ray releases of them that are newer i would imagine they're all on blu-ray i know they're on dvd but i don't know that there's a newer since i've started collecting release of these on blu-ray or like a nice box set or you know like everything's getting box sets now friday the 13th has a box set halloween has a box set hellraiser house everything demons is getting a new release i mean Night of the Demons. I don't know that there's anybody that's put out a Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a Nightmare on Elm Street box set. It's been out for a while, but I don't think there's a Blu-ray, but I couldn't tell you. But I wonder if this is why we have never talked about a Nightmare on Elm Street movie on this show before. So I'm actually pretty excited about that. And I know right now your favorite's going to be part two. Me knowing you, your, your favorite's going to be part two because it's like the, the sleaziest as far as story content, like as removed from the series, kind of screwball off the wall out of the franchise. So two is your favorite. I kind of thought that last night. I was like, I really like the second one. It doesn't have anything. It doesn't have like any of the original characters, but I really like that one. Maybe it's that one. But then I don't remember the kills from two. And my favorite kill in the series is the cockroach motel. Part four. Yeah. And part four. So I'm like, this one didn't have great kills. The story was great and the acting was great, but the kills were kind of just like, I, I mean, the one at the beginning, maybe is it the first one where he slits the kid kind of puppeteers him? Yep. Yeah, that was great. But then I'm just like, eh, you know, he slams the girl into the TV and everybody's just like, yeah, she died. What do you mean? She was picked up, put in the fucking TV. It wasn't like the TV fell off the wall and hit on her. Nobody thought that was weird. Like, well, of course they did. No, oh boy, this is going to be a great episode because I can see right now that Brian and I disagree on on just about everything so far. Uh, first of all, you brought up uh, the roach scene from part four. Uh, if anybody listening gets a chance, you go to a horror con and Brooke Thies is there. That's the actress who played that character in uh, in part four with that death scene. Brooke Thies is an amazing sweetheart of a person go get her autograph uh, she deserves the support i could go on for a while about stories about her with interactions at conventions but that would take up the majority of the rest of this podcast so go support brooke these back to what you just said i have the i the complete opposite view where i think that every death in this film is is iconic and um a lot of deaths in this film 
have uh you know action figures and collectible toys and stuff from that you got you got the freddy worm which wasn't really a death but i mean that's a mezco toy screen grabber you've got the tv senior just talking about that is a collectible that i didn't find out about until it was not available anymore and now it's hard to track down yeah there's a lot of amazing kills in this movie when i say i see a movie a gajillion times that's an understatement for this one. This was one of my, when I stayed home from sick from school, I would always watch this and I would watch Phantasm 2 and I would watch Young Guns over and over. And I don't know why, it's just what was available to me and I loved them and it was just, so I have seen this movie countless, countless fucking times. And I, I really think that this entry solidified the franchise and made Freddy iconic. Yeah, and it's before he gets too comical. Like, there's always that little bit of comedy underlying, but this is before it went, like, way ridiculous, where he was more comic than he was killer. We were still early enough in the series that he had some underlying comic, you know, sense to his kills and his delivery on his lines, but it wasn't, like, ridiculous like we get to in the later part of the series. Like, Freddy's Dead was kind of cartoony and over the top. He's not scary anymore. I want to laugh at him. You know, if you think about it, media as a whole, but specifically, obviously, we talk about horror from around 85 to 87. I don't know if you agree with me, but a lot of films and just content and TV shows from that era, they saw it was a really gritty tone. And then around 88 to the early 90s, like you say, everything got kind of cartoonish. But 85 to 87, everything had this very dark, gritty, gritty tone to it. Phantasm 2 came out in this era. That's, you know, uh, another one. There's just, uh, well, Friday 6 came out in this era and it just has that more serious kind of tone yeah because this came out february 27th of 87 which i was like that's kind of a weird release time for a movie february for a horror movie it was an independent film and only took 4.3 to 4.6 million to make i think box office was like 44.8 million so it's the third highest grossing in the series behind freddy versus jason and then i don't remember what the other one was that outgrossed it it was 4.5 million to make it doubled that it's opening weekend and then as of as of now it's um, you know 45 million worldwide and it's definitely a fan favorite if you talk to everybody's gonna differ you know weirdos like you are gonna prefer part two just kidding to the people who like part two i mean brian's weird but yeah, it's it's a fan favorite among most people. And what's cool about three is it's you don't need to see the first two to understand what's going on. I mean, it's a solid standalone flick, all while satisfying the needs and wants of established fans. So it played both ends. Great flick. Well done. And if you haven't seen this movie by chance or you don't remember the story. So there's a young girl that's having dreams. And her parents think that she's having a mental breakdown. So they send her to this facility where there are other children that are having these same issues. And there's doctors there, nurses, so on and so forth, orderlies. They bring on a student who happens to be Heather Langenkamp. I can't remember her name in the series for the life of me. Nancy Thompson. Yeah, Nancy Thompson happens to be a student that somehow gets to this school. I think she maybe had a connection or knew something was going on. And she brings this new medication with her that she's been taking. It's hypnosil. It's a dream suppressant. So they find out that she has this medication. She starts having a, a relationship or a friendship with the main physician on site. Finds out that these kids are dealing with Freddy Krueger. He's coming into their dreams to kill them because they're the last of the Elm Street kids. So she's trying to help them fight off Freddy. For a first time watch too, again, again how this film played to establish fans of the franchise already. 
At first time watch, it was very exciting to see Nancy because you didn't see her coming. She just showed up like, you know, you didn't they didn't allude to it. So it was, oh, my God, Nancy's back. What's going on? It was a great tie into the other films. And what I think was interesting, too, was this. The other movies and the ones afterwards, of course, you have a group of teens that are getting picked off one by one by Freddy. But this was different because it was they were all experiencing this together. So it was kind of a different take since all these kids were in the, the psych, psychiatric ward there. You know, this you got to see them all go on this journey together. There wasn't a lot of time spent on like the old formula of them trying to get people to believe them individually and their friends don't and these weird things happen like it's just you jump right in it's this group effort it's almost like they have this secret amongst themselves that they're afraid to tell anyone because no one would believe them they've all said stuff before it seems like and no one believes any of what's going on there um, so they form this pack because at one point the one kid's like, you take the first shift, I'll take the second shift. And then it leads up to the first kill <laughs> and the kid's walking out. He sleeps, walks, and the other kid's like, hey, wake up, wake up. And he's like, have a nice walk, asshole. And he goes back to bed. And then the other kid that can't talk and the one that's in the wheelchair, you know, they notice that he's climbing up to the thing to fall down. That one was really cool, how Freddy sliced him and then puppeteered him up to the thing. That one was a cool kill. That was one of the ones where uh, you know, Boots watches with me last night, and we've seen this before. That whole death scene in particular, she it just she was cringing physically. The sound effects, you know, of the, the flesh being ripped from his arms to create the strings. And she just, she said to me, she said, this is very uncomfortable to watch. I'm surprised we don't have a toy from that one. We have a toy from every, every other Freddy anything. Jumping around, there's also later on in, in the movie when the, the remaining kids learn how to unlock their dream power to fight Freddy, which I thought was another fantastic invention in this film, um, which carried over to part four and into part five a little bit. And that is uh, the wheelchair from hell. I cannot believe we don't have a wheelchair from hell. <laughs> uh, hey, Josh from Bootleg as Fuck Toys, I don't have time. Make me the wheelchair from hell, please. Yeah, because we have like the needle glove. We have that. You got the, the TV toy. You got the Mezco Freddy Worm. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much everything else from the, the movie that's a kill. So for people who don't know, you know, obviously Wes Craven created this franchise. He had no involvement in part two. He had no real interest in spitting out sequels and have it becoming what he thought was kind of a, a cheap, sleazy horror franchise like Friday the 13th was doing at the time. But two was really ill-received by fans. So he came back on to write part three. And what I found interesting was, um, you know, his idea... It was rejected by the studios and come to find out what he had written for his his idea for part three was what later became or Nightmare on Elm Street, a new a new nightmare, which was a fantastic story where Freddie's trying to come out into reality. And it's not Nancy Thompson. It's Heather Lingenkamp playing herself. And uh, the studios thought it just wasn't a good direction. So they brought on some rewrites. Frank Darabont was one of the, the writers who came in for the rewrite. You know, Frank Darabont, he directed or wrote Shaw, Shawshank Redemption, uh, The Walking Dead, The Mist, Green Mile. So I just thought it was interesting. They brought Craven back, then they rejected his idea, and other people came in to embellish what he had written. They were kind of sticking with that sleazy 80s feel that had made Friday the 13th all that money. They're like, oh, we see a dollar sign, so we don't want to go in this other direction that was maybe more artsy and more not nearly as sleazy. I think they thought it was it was 
too high of a concept. It wasn't it wasn't a teeny bopper slasher film. That was kind of a more of a concept film, which I think when New Nightmare came out, that's what it was. It was a great film because it was a great it was a concept film. It was probably something that, you know, like Brian, you talk, you don't like to think when you watch a movie, you watch it to kind of numb out and relax. You don't like A24. So like I could see you being a fan of part two over New Nightmare because New Nightmare, you got to think a little bit. What they did with part three was they also, they expanded on the mythology of Freddy. You know, again, it was a successful recovery from part two. And like I said before, repeating myself, kind of solidified Freddy and took him to more mainstream because part four and five, by then he was in rap videos and you had Freddy's nightmares and he was just everywhere, lunchboxes. By then, by four and five and when all that fame came, that's when he became known as that wisecracking, always, you know, a lot of screen time. He didn't have a lot of screen time in part three. They were still playing off that original formula that Craven had where they wanted to keep him dark and mysterious to add that kind of creepy level to everything. Now, is this the first one we hear about his mother and how he was born? I can't remember if we get that in the first two. I mean, but that was a lot of the story in building that mythology. It was three. So again, I'd have to go back and watch part one and part two, but I don't remember either of those, especially two, referring to him being the bastard son of a hundred maniacs or a thousand maniacs. Again, this was right around the time too, where the, the first Nightmare on Elm Street comic series came out that kind of dove into that backstory a little bit too. I remember picking those up. So yeah, this is where they really expanded and, and, and got into that mythology, which actually carried the rest of the franchise up until Freddy's dead. Yeah, at one point in the movie, you hear the story of a young girl that is locked in the sane asylum over the weekend with a hundred maniacs and she is raped sounds like beaten and left for dead and they find her clinging to life and they say knocked up and i'm like how do they know she's knocked up i mean it's only been three days i mean i would imagine if she's raped a hundred times but that was kind of a stretch for me i was like yeah i mean it's it's nightmare on elm street it doesn't need to be scientifically accurate but well, I'm sure they didn't like, oh, my God, this nun was beaten. Let's give her a pregnancy test. I'm sure <laughs> due to the severity of what, you know, the, when they found her after three days or whatever, she they said she was uh, barely alive. So I'm sure it took her a long time in recovery to overcome injuries and physical beatings and stuff. And, you know, so probably like a couple months later, she was still in the hospital and they were like, oh, my God, she's pregnant. You know, I'd really like to get some more backstory on Freddie's mother, Amanda Kruger, like a prequel leading up to her being Freddie's mom. I don't I mean, maybe she's just a nice, pleasant person or maybe she had trauma as a child or what happened after she gave birth to Freddie that maybe more of Freddie's childhood that led him to be who he was. You get a little bit, a little bit of that as you get into the franchise. So when you get into Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five, they kind of recreate the scene of her being locked in there and you know assaulted, and then they kind of get into a dream type sequence of Freddy being born, and he's this hideous monster and crawls across the floor, and it looks like she dies during birth, maybe or something. I can't remember. I, I know what you mean, though. It'd be nice to see a solid, actual, kind of realistic backstory. Of course, when you get into Freddy's Nightmares, the first episode of that whole series is the backstory of him being burnt, eluding the, the, the justice system, being burnt alive by the parents. And I think in Freddy's Dead, which is part six, that's where you get a little bit of backstory of, of Freddy as, a, you know, Alice Cooper was his dad and he was a drunk and beat him and, and stuff like that. But it would be cool to see an actual full-length feature prequel i feel like that's a lot of horror series and movies like what was jason Voorhees' mom 
like before. And we're going to be getting that here soon. We're going to get that soon. What was Norman Bates' mom like when he was a child? We got, I guess we got that with Bates Motel. So Freddie's kind of one of the last ones whose parents haven't been explained totally. I mean, you get a little bit of Leatherface um, in that series. Yeah, it'd be interesting to dive into what Amanda Kruger was like before Freddie was born. Jumping subject just a bit, but you just brought up uh, Norman Bates' mother, and we get that in Bates Motel. We also get quite a bit of that backstory in um, the fourth Psycho movie, which I thought was a great film. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a great movie. You get a lot of backstory of his mom and his childhood growing up during that film. A funny story, since we're off topic and we're talking about Bates Motel and Norman Bates. So my five-year-old started preschool or kindergarten this year. I'm on my way to lunch with some co-workers and they're like, oh, who did uh, Finley get for her teacher this year? And I said, Mrs. Bates. And they're like, who? I said, Mrs. Bates, you know, Norman's mom. And they're just like, who the fuck's Norman? Drop me off here. I was like, what am I doing with these people? If it wasn't for the picture I saw of your coworkers all dressing up like you with the bald <laughs> cap and the mustache and the beard and everything, I'd call them a bunch of normies. But that picture alone, they, you know, they gained a little bit of street cred doing that. So so back to Nightmare on Elm Street, part three here, which is what we're discussing. Kevin Yeager, really, in my opinion, this was the pinnacle of the Freddy makeup. I think this film was Kevin Yeager really punched up Freddie's makeup, and this was was the best that you are ever going to see it. And we get Linnea Quigley in his chest towards the end of the movie? That's part four. Oh, that is part So anybody famous on this chest? Well, something that's interesting is, okay, so uh, for super fans, if you want to go, I, I refer to the Internet Movie Database quite a bit. This is one of those films. If you go to the Internet Movie Database, type in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, you can go through and find the trivia, and there is just a massive amount of trivia and fun facts. Uh, I, I snagged a couple of them from there that I thought were interesting, but you could spend a day looking at everything there. So maybe there is someone fun and famous on that chest. I don't know. It's probably due for a rewatch because it's kind of late when I started the movie and I had worked last week on a Friday overnight at the hospital so it threw my whole schedule off so i was like kind of tired and i'm like oh i need some of that hip to hypnosil i need to eat some coffee and take some hypnosil just in case i fall asleep and i wake up and freddie's coming after me the casting in this was great all the kids were amazing actors like I told you, I can't imagine there's a better cast in this series. I mean, you get Heather Langenkamp's back. You have Patricia Arquette is the other. This was her first gig ever. Lawrence Fishburne's in this. You got Ken Sagos. Like, the whole cast is great. John Saxon comes in later in the movie. The doctor, the nun even, you're like, who's this nun? She's like creepy, but not too creepy. You know, like the whole cast was amazing. Brooke Bundy. You're like, what? Is, how do they get, with this budget, these kids or these actors to sign on for this movie? How do they find these kind of people to do these kind of movies, you know, that are this good? Well, especially since the majority of the budget went to the effects. This was an effects-ridden film. Most of it practical. There was a little bit of, of course, CGI didn't really exist back then, but there was, you know, and, and speaking of effects too, uh, one effect that we didn't see is I found out that uh, Taryn, 
when Freddie shoves the uh, the needles into her arms when they're fighting towards the end of the movie that I always notice you can see kind of like the veins swell upside the side of her for her temple there. I guess her head was supposed to explode, but the effect didn't work and they had to move on. That would have been really cool. We didn't get to see that. I wonder how many takes they did of that. Do you think it was just like a one-time thing and they're like, didn't work, go on. I don't even know. It sounded like maybe it was they were running out of time or money. You know what I mean? If the effect didn't work, so they had to move on so they didn't have time to reinvest and make it work. Because I would imagine that would be like the next step after the needles and the injection of the fluid. You know, that would be like another shot. Here, we're going to do this. You're going to show her arms, needle holes opening up like little mouse, like they're hungry. Which is creepy. Like they're hungry for the drugs. Like, feed me, feed me. And then you would move on to the head explosion. That's something we don't ever touch on. I'm glad you just said that. The sound design, and well, we touch on it sometimes, but the sound design in this movie was extraordinary also. People always talk about the acting and the writing and the, the, the special effects, but like, okay, so we talked earlier about Philip's death when his tendons get ripped up into strings. The sound effects of his flesh getting ripped, the, the little mouths on Taryn getting ready for the needles. It was just, just like the, the sound was amazing. It added a whole other dimension to it. They did a lot right in this movie. The only thing they did wrong was not make it Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Oh, God, that way you would have liked it. Just, <laughs> yeah. just call it Part 2. You know, Part 2 to a lot of people doesn't even really exist. So this is kind of Part 2. I don't. So kind of jumping ahead, I, I do have some hangups. So when we first see Joey, the Joey character in the beginning of the movie, he's got this teardrop tattoo, like crybaby. Did you see that? Yeah. I've always wondered. And then it's not there the rest of the movie. First of all, I'm like, why the hell did he have it? Then I'm like, why is it gone? And then I'm like, what did he, why did, why, I don't understand why it was there. Maybe he killed somebody and then decided that he didn't kill him. They actually lived. I don't know. It was never referenced. It was nothing. It was weird. Kind of a, another hang up I had is, um, there was the exchange between Taryn and the sleazy orderly where he's trying to look like he's trying to get her all high in the dispensary and stuff. It was kind of an unnecessary scene. It didn't drive the story. It was well acted, but it just was unnecessary. And I always wonder if that was if that was an unexplored subplot, you know, or Freddie was going to be that guy and her nightmare and they just never got to it. So interesting diversion on that is I've got some friends here in Michigan that are getting ready to launch a new podcast called Podcastination Unknown. And they've made friends with Jennifer, who played Taryn, based off some interactions they had at Motor City Legacy. So I think maybe she'll be on a guest on their show. I'm hoping so. And maybe we can get the answer to that question. A lot of mystery around the Taryn character. We'll have to submit a question to their podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm curious to hear that. Or maybe if that doesn't work out, we can try to get her on our show. Because I want to know some of these some of these uh, answers. So probably my biggest pet peeve, my biggest hang up in this movie is towards the end of the movie, you get the stop motion animation. We're in the real world, not the dream world. John Saxon and Neil one of the physicians who's teamed up with the Nancy character, are in the junkyard. They're going to bury Freddy's bones, which John Saxon's character buried deep in the heart of this junkyard in the trunk of this old red Cadillac. Freddy kind of like possesses his bones and he fights them off. I got no problem with that. My problem was, is like when the Freddy skeleton wins, he throws his arms up and lets out this like King Kong roar. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, the subtitles on and it's like laughing. I was like, he's laughing? Did not sound like a laugh. No, that wasn't a laugh at all. It was just like a giant roar. Yeah, that was comical. I was like, this is ridiculous. Couldn't he just come back as Freddy? Like he needs to be in his bones? 
What the fuck? I don't know. I, I kind of like the 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 concept because he couldn't because I mean he lives in the dream world and we hadn't explored in in the nightmare franchise yet how he could be brought into reality. I guess they did a little bit in the first one. That's how Nancy defeated him. Now that I think about it, yeah, you're right. I don't know. It was cool. Just I hated hated the roar. It reminded me of uh, Army of Darkness. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, it had had this like comic you know element to it. Something I thought was interesting, too, is this film was loaded with with callbacks to the other, not really to part two, so to to the original film. Like, if you remember at the end of the first Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy shows up in a dream sequence and gets his revenge, and he is basically the red Cadillac. And the, the convertible top goes up, and it's red and green striped like his sweater. And it's kind of like, oh, why did they choose that Cadillac? Well, you find out in part three, that's where John Saxon buried Freddy's bones after they burned him alive, was in the trunk of that red Cadillac, which was like a fifty mid to late 50s Cadillac. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Or little things like I don't remember noticing it until I watched this last night again. And again, I've seen it I don't know how many times. John Saxon's not the sheriff anymore. If you look, when they go meet him at the bar, on the arm of his sleeve, it says security guard. Because you find out he's kind of a drunk now and he's withdrawn from life. I always thought he was the sheriff. And last night, I'm like, oh, shit. No, he's not even the sheriff anymore. He's just a security guard. Well, he's still an asshole. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> I was like, that ain't changed since the first movie. You know, all in all, though, I tell you what, the story, it was well written. In, in the scene, like, what, Nancy's reveal to Neil about Freddy, it got to that point where she thought it was, she was... He was open enough to hear. They could have had this long, drawn-out story where she explains to him who she is in the first movie, but they didn't. They they kind of alluded that was going to happen. The two of them were having dinner, like, in her apartment. And then they cut right to the group session with the kids, and that gets explained where she lets the kids know, I know who Freddy is. I know who's attacking you in your dreams. And the way she described it, like I say, everything was, was well-written and just moved along well. I don't know about you, Brian. Probably my biggest hang-up, though, about this film is the pacing almost seemed too fast. It just kind of clicked right along where I thought there were times they could have slowed down and explored a, a couple things a little little more thoroughly. What do you think? Yeah, they could have done more exploring on the kids finding their powers. Like with the kid that was the wizard, they explained a little bit of it, but then all of a sudden when the wheelchair from hell's coming at him, he like jumps up and he's got this cloak on and he has these lightning beams that come out. That was it. And then Freddy kills him. I wanted more of a... A battle. Yeah, more of a battle. Like with Taryn, you know, there's a little bit of a knife fight, but then there's not much and she's gone again. I felt like they gave these kids powers, but then they didn't really do much with them. You know, they didn't allow them to even fight Freddy. They made Freddy so powerful in this movie, which they explain later is because he has all these souls. But why have these second tier characters have these powers if you're not going to allow it to be a bigger part of the story or more of action, you know, more of a fight with Freddy? You find out the powers are there and then it's boom, they're in a fight and then the movie's over with. I guess, uh, I guess in that knife fight scene with Taryn, I keep talking about her, about her character. I guess I read that she actually stabbed Freddy. It was like a prop knife, but something went wrong and he actually got stabbed in the armpit. Which, you know, <laughs> if you watch, you can watch, it's like watching pro wrestling. We're pro wrestling fans and you watch it and sometimes you go, oh, that's real. The way Robert England as Freddy retracts when she stabs him in the armpit, I always thought, oh, that looks real. Come to find out it was. She really stabbed him. Yeah, it's, and it's a, what, 36 minutes, an hour and 36 minutes. But yeah, it seemed like it went quick and maybe some of the other stuff they could have taken it out where you know the kids are fighting with the other doctor all the time or playing a board game maybe a little less that i don't know 
a little less of time at the cemetery. All every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie, except I think part two, they're always at a cemetery two or three different times for a funeral. What are you doing up here? I'm at a fucking funeral. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've got two fun facts, and then do you want to get to a rating? Oh, sure. Do you think we've described this movie well enough for people who might not have seen it to want to go watch it as the best Nightmare on Elm Street ever? Yeah. As long as your opinion is high on yourself, and that's fine. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm just messing around. I got two fun facts. One is, uh, back to Philip. He has a line in the beginning when Nancy first is introduced to him. He says, welcome to the snake pit. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I happen to love this movie. The Snake Pit is a movie from 1948, and it, it deals with mental illness, specifically schizophrenia, and takes place in a mental asylum. It's from 48, so it's a different generation. It's a different film, a little slow. I encourage people to go watch it if you're looking for something interesting, old, and unique to dive into. So there is meaning behind Welcome to the Snake Pit, because the Snake Pit's a movie from 48 about a mental asylum. My first thing that popped into my head when you said Welcome to the Snake Pit was the old WWE, well, it'd be WWF. Didn't Jake Roberts have a, a skit where it was like, Welcome to the Snake Pit? Yeah, it was like Piper's Pit, but it was, yeah, the Snake Pit. The other fun fact about this, uh, we've talked about this a couple times throughout episodes, which is weird because we've never covered Nightmare on Elm Street and all we've covered is Evil Dead Rise. Part three was the set where Freddy's glove got stolen from the set in the Sam Raimi Wes Craven war. So for, for those of you listening who don't know what the hell I'm talking about, when Wes Craven made The Hills Have Eyes in, what was that, 75, 76, something like that, there was in the trailer a poster of Jaws and it was ripped in half. And it was Wes Craven saying, that isn't real horror. This is real horror. This movie, Hills Have Eyes, about mutant cannibals in the desert. Then when Sam Raimi made Evil Dead, just as kind of a, a nod, in the basement of the cabin in the original 1981 Evil Dead, there's a Hills Have Eyes poster is ripped in half. So then when Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 was made, there's footage from the original Evil Dead on TV, like it's being watched in Grady's room, one, one of the, the leads' room. And then so now we get here, and this is where, I don't know if it was Sam Raimi or who, but somehow Freddy's glove got stolen from the set. And then in Evil Dead 2, it's hanging up in the work shed, and again in the basement also in Evil Dead 2. So they don't get along, huh? It was, I call it a war, but it was like a, a funny back and forth. It wasn't anything, you know, no, no one was angry at each other. It was all in good fun. Sheer amount of Easter eggs you can find through these movies. I mean, I would imagine Marvel does it, but the horror genre is one of those genres where you could watch a movie that has nothing to do with another movie and you can find a lot of Easter eggs, you know, just throughout the whole genre. You could be like, oh, that look. And maybe it's just coincidence. But maybe it's not. Maybe there's this big circle of directors and actors and people that are just like, let's throw that in here and this and this movie and this and this movie. And, you know, it's just fun. Case in point going, uh, I don't, I'm not really ruining or giving anything away, but earlier we were talking about Dylan's new nightmare. There's a scene in Dylan's new nightmare where he is auditioning for a role on a film in the movie. The film he's auditioning for is Hatchet 5, which Hatchet is a real film series, but 5 is fictitious. It doesn't exist. That That's an Easter egg. That's a little little nod to hatch, the Hatchet franchise. It doesn't exist yet. So what do, you th what do you think about a rating of this masterpiece? Let's get two ratings from you. I want to hear your actual rating, and then I want to hear if it was called Part 2, what your rating would be. Okay, so since it's part three, I went to bed with it at a nine and I woke up today and I went and had coffee with some friends. And of course, the movie's stewing in my brain and I 
ended up at an eight, which is a, I mean, an eight's a really high rating, eight dream warriors out of 10. But if it was part two, it would be a nine dream warriors out of 10. Just based off the number two. Just off the number two. Bumps it up a whole one, one point. Like I said, it is probably the best movie in the series, the best cast, the best acting, the best sound, the best soundtrack. I mean, you're not going to find, I don't know that you find a better song in any horror movie than Dawkins' Dream Warriors. Can you think of one? I mean, it's probably the most iconic in any horror movie. Off the top of my head, being put on the spot, no. Um, I, I know that there are some great songs that exist. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, at the, especially at the time, you know, hair metal, hard rock, heavy metal was big. And so it just really struck a chord. Then, of course, shortly after that is when, um, you know, rap and hip hop kind of took over the mainstream culture. And so you had a lot of Freddie rapping and stuff like that, which I don't dislike rap, but I, I didn't like it i didn't think it fit the tones uh, in fact that carries over i keep plugging dylan's new nightmare but that docking song carries over into dylan's new nightmare check it out it's probably not going to be my favorite if i had to go back and watch the whole series two would probably be my favorite because again it's the sleaziest i think it's kind of gathered a cult following at this point though part two it's kind of become the people didn't like it then they rewatch it and they learn the story behind it and i think that's helped part two also is that you find out what the main character in part two went through after the fact of making that movie and i think the other thing that would have helped this is um you said this is patricia arquette's first movie yes she got pregnant after the filming of this movie and was supposed to be in part four. I didn't know that's why she wasn't. But she couldn't be because she was pregnant. So they brought another actress in. And Tuesday night. I think if you continue with her in this series, you get her in four and possibly five and six. And it builds this up even more because she, she was great in this. I mean, she was a more believable final girl than Nancy. To me, I mean, I liked her character more than i liked nancy in the first one or this one i felt like she was more of a more realistic victim of freddie than nancy was nancy always seemed like she had it more together and i felt like you wouldn't have it together if you were being haunted by this person in your dreams you'd look more like her she almost looked you know disheveled and she looked more like she was having mental health issues like because you would be more upset not sleeping and all that stuff patricia arquette's uh her portrayal of Kristen was very grounded, very realistic, very relatable. Tuesday night's uh, rendition of Kristen was kind of more of the Hollywood actress playing a role in a film, but that I don't say that negatively, negatively at all. Tuesday night's, you know, portrayal was great too, but that's, it's one of those things where when they do that in movies, a, a, a character is played by a different person. You have to kind of get over it. You have to go, Oh, what the hell is going on? You know, and it wasn't like it was Dallas or some soap opera where it was, Oh, she was in a car wreck and had plastic surgery, you know, and looks different. <laughs> the personality was almost portrayed differently also. You know? So what about you? What's your rating for this one? I'm, I'm going nine Freddie penis worms out of 10. I actually, I read that the Freddy worm there, they thought it looked too a little too phallical. So they actually kind of had to like redo some stuff and change the way they shot it and angled it. Cause it was like, oh, it's going to be known as like the, the dick monster. You know, Freddy penis is coming to eat you. Nine out of 10. It's my favorite from the, the franchise. Um, there's some other good ones in the franchise. There's some I don't care for. I'm not a big fan of Freddy's Dead. I don't like how a lot of that was approached visually and just uh, the story I thought was really weak and weird. 
Part three, I think, is the best. Uh, I would go 10 out of 10. But again, I think the movie, every movie is going to have some hangups. Now, there's some weird shit. Why did Joey have a teardrop tattoo? That stuff, whatever. But I, I think the pacing of this movie, I wish they would have slowed down and just explored a little bit more of the story and given us just a little bit more. And I would have given it a 10 out of 10. Is there a medication for Freddie Penis? Is there a pill for that? I don't know how to answer that. I don't know if I'm going to incriminate myself or not. I don't know. I'll go check out the free clinic. You can find something. <laughs> well, they're not open till Tuesday because it's a holiday weekend. Right. <laughs> yeah, talk to Brian. He's wanting to get you some medication here. <laughs> well, you know, we could ask somebody about that free medication. Our friends at the podcast network, the PFPN. I remember referring to them as penis monsters before, so we'll do it again. Bunch of penis monsters. So let's hear from them. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for this day in horror history. A date which will live in infamy. So this episode of the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast will drop on September 17th. It's kind of a slow news two weeks or, you know, releases and birthdays and whatnot. It's kind of that weird time of year where it's kind of slowing down before it revs back up for Halloween. So on September 19th, 1997, we got Wishmaster. 2002, we got Bubba Hotep. And in 2003, we got Underworld. Which one are you going to watch? Underworld. Just for Kate Beckinsale, right? Well, it was a good story too, but yeah, that's, I'm not going to lie, Kate Beckinsale. It was really hot in leather. Wishmaster, the first one, decent movie. I don't hate it. I never got into Bubba Hotep. I think I watched maybe three quarters of the movie, half the movie, and I was just like, man, Underworld's fantastic. On September 21st in 1866, H.G. Wells is born, you know, the writer of War of the Worlds, Time Machine, The Invisible Man, just name the few. I remember the Time Machine from WGN Channel 9. At like noon on Sundays was, oh God, I don't even know what it's called. It was like a WGN Classics or something like that. And they'd show like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Gulliver's Travels. And it was on right after Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom. So it'd be like right after you'd get home from church. But the time machine, that old time machine from what, like the 50s or 60s? was a throwback and it seemed like it was on there like once a month my generation i feel like in this area that was our introduction to horror was the time machine you ever seen that one no i know what you're talking about but i watched all the wgn saturday shocker stuff but sunday was always family time and i got dragged around the countryside on these long boring country drives hunting, hunting like asparagus roadside yeah at my own time machine it was stuck in the back of a car listening to classic <laughs> rock and then in 1947, Master of Horror Stephen King was born. And we know him. I mean, 
Thinner, Christine, Shawshank, Maximum Overdrive, Misery. I mean, you can go on and on for stuff that he's wrote and has been made into movies. Do you have a favorite Stephen King story? Ooh, favorite Stephen King story. I don't. I don't have one that like sticks out above all the rest. Uh, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones. I'm not much of a reader. I think that's pretty apparent because I've said it on the show a lot. Everybody in my house likes to read, but I'm not. But my favorite, I mean, Stephen King adaption would be Shawshank Redemption. And like you said, there's some I don't care for. There's some that I love. There's, I think we both love Maximum Overdrive. And that's like a movie of his that gets shit on continuously. And that, that he himself hates. <laughs> He directed it. He fucking hates it. But we love it. Um, and then September 28th in 1951, The Day the Earth Stood Still, 1977, Eraserhead, and in 1994, Ed Wood. I love Ed Wood. I love that movie. We were lucky enough to go to the Orpheum and see Plan 9 from Outer Space, and it's a god-awful movie. It's fun. You know, like they're driving to the cemetery and it's daytime and they turn and it's nighttime. They're like, wait, it was just daytime. A lot of it makes no sense. You watch Ed Wood and you realize that he was just a normal person that loved making movies and it was a sad existence for him. I don't know if I'd say that Ed Wood was a normal person. Well, no, but (laughs) uh, especially back then he lived in Taboo. Uh, he might be more normal. He might be more normal today than back then. But no, I, I know what you're getting at. He was just just a guy with a passion for films who wanted to make him and was willing to do whatever he could to make his dream come true. Yeah, I love that movie. I like a Eraserhead was one of those weird ones. I'm not sure what's going on here and how long <laughs> this is going to take. But OK, I love Eraserhead. Yeah, it was weird. It had that weird baby in it, too. And I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. this is like combat shock all over again. Oh, God. Yeah. The most disturbing movie I've ever seen. Combat Shock, Eraserhead. Those movies are awesome, but they they really make you stop and say out loud, what the fuck is going on? Not really too much. Be packing up to get ready to go to Vegas. You know, that's the second week in October. I'll be going there. Once this one drops, we'll be getting really close to the double feature at the Orpheum and the Orpheum movies that is uh, presented by the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. We're showing two movies, Next of Ken and Gellsberg's own Strange Behavior, a.k.a. Dead Kids. I found out that the United States would not allow the movie to be shown here as Dead Kids, so they had to rename it. That's why they changed the name of it. Um, and I'm going to hit up a, a little fall festival with our uh, our friends from the Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe podcast will be there. So that's uh, September 24th. I think it's 23rd and 24th. 23rd and 24th in Burlington, there's a fall festival that has like 80 vendors and food. It's free to get in. So I figured I would head over that way and check that out. What about you? You got anything? It's kind of a, a lull time for me too. I say this all the time. I've got a bunch of stuff going on. None of it I can really talk about. So no, I have nothing going on right now. I am preparing. uh, Let's see. I just got done with Hearst Fest as of yesterday. I'm going to be preparing for upcoming shows. Unfortunately, Midwest Monster Fest got canceled for the second year in a row. So I won't be traveling there. I was looking forward to that. Um, But I still have Scarefest at the end of October and Monster Mania in Philly, the uh, middle of November. So I'm just going to be working on getting those shows 
you know, getting stocked for those shows, getting ready to come down and hang out for the double feature with you, Brian and Galesburg, uh, getting ready to do some other stuff and nothing really specific to report, I guess, right now. Keep putting out that news. It kind of has consumed my life. I like, I, I plan cause it comes out three times a week, the spill the guts news segments. And, um, I enjoy doing it. I'm not complaining one bit and I'm not looking at stopping anytime soon, but it has gotten to the point where I kind of have to plan my, my days and my weeks around it, especially with everything else I normally have going on. So we'll keep it coming. I hope everybody is uh, enjoying it. I haven't seen any negative feedback, seen a little bit of positive feedback. So thanks for listening. Well, now that we've covered Nightmare on Elm Street, part three, the Dream Warriors, the news, collectibles. Oh, I got stuff. I got a damn thing, man. Horror history and what we're up to. Don't forget to check out the I Like Spooky Horror podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. Listen to the Spill the Guts segment Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for your horror news. And I'm taking over appendages and taking it in a new direction. So that'll be dropped the first Tuesday and Thursday of the month. So watch for that. What else do we got? Well, again, there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about, but we are working uh, with some friends of ours here in Michigan about putting out uh, some additional content, possibly, potentially, doing a, a short show every Saturday also. So we're going to be bringing you even more. So that's going to be at the point where you just can't go anywhere, do anything, turn on your social media or radio or anything without having to deal with the sounds of our voices. Sorry about that. Yeah, we're going to be on more than the 5 o'clock news. Yeah, because we're only on at 5 o'clock. Yeah, we could be on all damn day. We're fucking on at like spooky o'clock. I don't know what time that is, but it sounds like a good time. <laughs> it is all the damn time. Well, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, till next time. Respect for the dead, will ya?